Come on, I believe that the church should have a voice, and that voice should be the voice of reason. The church should be part of the answer, part of the solution. Hey, we're so glad that you came to join, not to church, but to join with the church today. If you're a guest with us, my name is Chris Fry, my wife Megan and I are the lead pastors here. And hey, we want to connect with you. If you would, you can take out your phone and you can fill out on EuniceChurch.com. You can fill out a connect card. We're not going to stalk you. We're not going to make you uncomfortable. We just want to connect with you, find ways to connect with you. And hey, we really mean it. If you have a prayer request, we have people who find great fulfillment in praying for you and your family and your need. So go online to EuniceChurch.com, fill out that Connect card, fill out that prayer card. And hey, listen, don't leave here discouraged today. If you need somebody to pray with you, then ask somebody. There are people here that would love to pray with you. Maybe you've seen them in the prayer lines before or maybe in the prayer tent over the last few weeks. Just ask them. Tell them what you need or what you're believing God for. They'd be happy to pray with you. We are going into a new series today called Toxicity. We have been, this is kind of a cool God moment. Um, I, like, I like it when we think we're planning things and, and then God confirms it. I like it even more when God makes it look like we've been planning things. That's even better when he just makes us look good because we're just doing what he told us to and then the whole thing just falls together. But over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called There Is More. And then last week, uh, I preached a message on Pentecost. I preached a message about the person of the Holy Spirit. And then we were just landing right here. We were going to call this toxic church. We were going to call it uh, post-pandemic, purpose in a post-pandemic society. Um, but I don't think we're posted. I, I think we in it. And so we just X'd out the post. And, and I believe that we can still find purpose in the midst of the pandemonium. See, often we pray for God to get us out of things, but we ought to be praying for us to be able to recognize his presence in those things. See, you don't have to get out of the storm in order to experience his peace. You can experience his peace in the storm. You can find purpose in the pandemic. But in order to find purpose, we want to evaluate today. I want to evaluate this word, toxicity. I want to tell you where we're going in this series. I can just promise you in Jesus' name that it will be worth your time. Come back, bring a friend, and socially distance as we're supposed to. Toxicity, by definition, we worked really hard on this definition. We Googled it and clicked on Merriam-Webster and copied and pasted it. It says, the quality, the state, or relative degree of being poisonous, toxicity. Man, what, that's, that's a little intense. All right, well, go here with me for a second. So a couple of years ago, maybe some of you may remember this, there was uh, in Flint, Michigan, people were like getting sick. They, uh, the children were getting rashes and, and losing their hair. Some of you visited Flint a couple of years ago. and uh, no, I'm sorry, that's not true. So uh, th this was all going on. This was all going on in, in Flint, Michigan. It's just near Detroit. And, and they, so they started testing the toxicity within the water. Uh, they waited a little too long. The governor and the, actually they called upon the president at the time to, to declare a state of emergency. And, and President Obama actually declared a state of emergency there in, in Flint, Michigan. 
And, and now there was actually, after the fact, a lawsuit brought up against the head of the Department of Health for the state. Uh, and there are charges of manslaughter on him because of the toxicity in the water. See, what they had done is they ran the lines from the city that would give the city and that community their water. They ran it into the Flint River. That's why it's Flint, Michigan. They ran it into the Flint River, and they didn't properly measure the toxicity in the water. So what happened was what was supposed to quench their thirst and bring them life actually constricted their life and made them sick. Similarly, I have not this church. I've been in churches. I've been around churches that were supposed to be the life within that community. They were supposed to be the life that that family could come and draw from. They were supposed to, and I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a people. They were supposed to be the life for anyone who visited, for anybody who was a guest. They were supposed to provide life as a light in the darkness. But really what they did is they added to the toxicity. And they sucked the life out of people. And people ended up more sick because they drank from that well. Than they would have if they would have just left the well alone. Toxicity, the measure of another definition, an extremely harsh, malicious, or harmful quality. An extremely harsh, malicious, or harmful quality. Now, we are, we are discussing in this series, I, I believe we got like the smelly church. We got the refined church. We got the last church, the church of the harvest. This is going to be a fun series. We're going to go through all that. We got some illustrations planned. It's going to be good. God's going to speak. But today, I want to I speak specifically to the possible toxicity within the church. I don't have a voice uh, in the nation. I don't, I don't have a voice in Washington, D.C., but God has, has given us a voice right here in, in this church, in this community, and in this city. So I, I don't need to try to speak to things at a national level when I see them happening at a local level. I need to address the people where I am as God directs me to. And, and what I have seen is that there are some things... Don't get lost in my wordiness. There are some things that could keep us from the more that God has for us. We just went through this big series. There is more. There is more. But there are things within us, not around us. So powers and principalities of darkness don't have authority over you unless you allow them to. But there are things within us that can keep us from the more that God has for us. Now... Out of respect of uh, not just being reactionary, again, we've been planning this series for a while. Like, we've been calling it Toxic Church. We've had s some statistics for, for today, for several weeks. And so it's no accident today that we just landed here. And just last week, we are experiencing as a nation and within churches some toxicity, some division. And, and when I see division, I speak to that devil. Because there's some things that I can work with, but division is not one of them. Disunity 
disloyalty and division have no place in the house of God. Now, I can love you. I'm just going to let you be loved somewhere else besides here. Division cannot stay in the house of God. Three years ago, a prominent African-American pastor of incredible character, and God is multiplying his influence even as we speak. I'm taking an abridged quote from him. He said in layman terms, we cannot continue to be satisfied with segregation. And you can put in quotes, in our churches and call it success. Yeah, that's what happened in first service too. We cannot continue to be satisfied with segregation in the house of God and call it success. Um, again, out of respect, I, I, I'm, I'm not just reacting here. We have prayed and we have had conversations and discussions and, and we are speaking. We as a staff, as, as the leadership of this church, we are, we are speaking today under what we believe to be the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Benjamin Watson, uh, former tight end of the New Orleans Saints, you're welcome. Smile. It's okay. He talked about the Saints. The Dallas Cowboys fan talked about the Saints. Just for you. I did that just for you. Now, he finished his career with the New England Patriots. Where's, there he is. <laughs> That's the first time Eddie's waved and said amen in church. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> so, but Benjamin Watson, just this week, he was being interviewed by CNN. And he said this. He said, this is not in your notes. He said, we don't have a skin issue. We have a sin issue. And that's, that's Benjamin Watson. We don't have... See, right now, we, we label people. We, we look at native people as... It, like if we were speaking to a native, we would say, your people. We, we look at black people and we will say, as a white man, we will say, they. Or as, as, a, as a black man, we will say, we. We look at Latino people and we say, well, well, them. Or we look at people from Mexico and we say, well, they. We look at white people, if, if you're white, and you say, all of us. And we use verbiage like you or us in regards to race. But, but truly, the United States preamble doesn't start with they. The preamble... To the so-called constitution in the nation in which we live, it all starts with we, the people. No differentiation. Now, they didn't live that way, but they prophesied that way. They didn't mean to prophesy that way, but that's where we're going. Again, not in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. You might want to write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 10, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, I appeal to you. Paul is addressing an issue, a sin issue. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority that we just sang about. You are my champion. As long as you do what I want, I believe in. That's not how it goes. Paul says, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, that authority... That we cast out devils and heal the sick. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you to live in harmony with each other. Watch this. Let there be. This was not a request. This was a requirement. 
for godly living. Let there be no divisions in the church. No divisions. Rather, be of one mind. United in thought and purpose. Now, before I read some statistics to you, I just have to, I want to confess. I want to confess something that the Lord convicted me of last Saturday. See, I found myself last Saturday and even openly communicated to my wife last Saturday. I was getting frustrated at riots and looting, and rightfully so. I was getting frustrated. I was getting angered. I was getting ready to speak to what was frustrating me. The problem, as I was communicating my frustration to my wife, I I heard. It wasn't an audible voice. It was just a question that arose in my spirit. I want to believe that it it was me hearing from God. I heard the question, Chris, why were you not this mad Thursday? And I was convicted. See, I have come to a place in my life where my own prejudice was controlling my perspective at what I viewed happened to certain people. That's me. If, it did, if, if you didn't do that, then I'm not, I'm not trying to bash you today. I'm confessing to you today. And that was when I went to, I first of all, apologized to my wife. I said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And I went and sat down at the table and I said, God, you got to help me. I don't, know what, I don't know what this is. I, I, I thought I was free of this. And the first thing I wrote was, if you were not outraged and outspoken about what happened to a man named George Floyd, then you should probably consider that same silent temperance in regards to the response to what happened to him. See, I was more frustrated at the response to what happened than I was to the root of what happened. See, we look at the fruit of all that's going on and we get frustrated by the fruit and we get emotional and we get irritated and we get mad or we get excited about the fruit. But the problem in America is not the fruit. The problem is that we have a bitter root. And it's not just America. It's in church. We have divisions and factions and we have perspectives and people and we call segregation success as long as there's a whole lot of people In that place. Statistically, it is my hope today to stir up the indifference that God convicted me of. Uh, Lifeway did a study a few years back now on racial diversity in church. And they wrote, the title was More of a Dream Than a Reality. More of a Dream Than a Reality. 11,000 congregations of different faith. These were predominantly Protestant churches. Um... But out of 11,000 congregations, 85% of the lead pastors of those churches said that 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 church should strive for racial diversity. 85%. That means that 15% said they shouldn't. Like just a few years ago. We have 15% of pastors who do not think that churches should strive for racial and ethnic diversity. 13% of those same pastors said that they have more than one predominant racial or ethnic group in their congregation. That means that 80% of those congregations were filled by one predominant 
race or ethnicity. 78% of Americans say every church should strive for racial diversity. 78% said every church should strive. Again, if my numbers are right, that means that 22% of so-called born-again believers do not think that churches should even strive for racial diversity. Listen, it's not an, it's not an accident that 15% of pastors felt that way and 22% of people felt that way. Because when what we do as God's leaders in moderation, other people will do in excess. It always happens. And we see statistical evidence of such, 51%, 51% of the, of the 11,000 congregation members, no, 11,000 churches, congregates, not just people, but 11,000 congregations and all the people in them, 51% say they would be most comfortable visiting a church where multiple ethnicities are well represented, which means that 49% of the people, the so-called born-again believers, said they would not be comfortable visiting a church where multiple ethnicities were attending together. We don't have a skin issue. We have a sin issue. Dr. Martin Luther King said it almost 60 years ago now, but it's still evident today that 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated time in America. The church is the most divided people group in the world. Today, Ed Stetzer, president of Lifeway at the time of this study, said today diverse churches remain rare. Research shows that it's partly because of human nature. He said everybody wants diversity. Listen to this. Everybody wants diversity, but many don't want to be around people who are different. Everybody wants diversity or According to this study, about, about 20% of so-called born-again believers didn't really want diversity. Another individual in this study said it this way, the reason that our churches lack diversity is because even the people that say that they want it are really only after it from cultural perspective instead of theological conviction. In other words, it's pragmatic. It's, it's for show so that people, oh, yes, we're diverse. It's not because of a theological conviction that we are truly all under the blood of Jesus, one body, one Lord, one Father of all. It's just pragmatic. It's practical in this day and age. Why, let me ask this question this morning, as you can hear a piece of paper fall on carpet today. Why? I'm glad some of you smiled. It's okay. Break the lines in your face and just release. Why is racism that taboo topic or that taboo sin that most would rather deflect? Why is that? Now, I'm asking, I'm asking me this question. I'm asking the question. I don't know that I have the answer yet. Some people have said because... You know, well, the black man, the black preacher doesn't say anything as much about it as he probably should because he doesn't want to be considered the angry black man. That's Pastor Jelani Lewis of Gateway Church Campus in Frisco, Texas. He said, man, I, you know, I just, you can only speak to it so much you don't want to be seen as the angry black man. And the white pastor doesn't say enough or doesn't want to speak to it because he doesn't want to offend. Because if he says the wrong thing, because of how it may seem or may be perceived from him. Maybe that's one of the answers. 
But why is it, I got to ask, why is it that I have been here four years in August? We will have been here, Megan and I will have moved here four years ago this August. So almost four years. And, and I've preached a message on just about every sin that there is in four years. We've addressed the issues. We have talked about the struggle and the temptations that exist. We've, we've talked about purity, and, and we've talked about the sanctity of marriage. We've talked about being created as male and female. We've talked about adultery. We've talked about drunkenness. We've talked about revelry. We've talked about gluttony at times. Like We've addressed all of those things, but never one time have we addressed this root of racism that we see so evidently in all of our churches. Now listen, if, if for four years, for four years, I never preached a message on hell, if I never preached a message on heteronormative thinking, if I never preached a message on the value of family, if I never preached a message uh, against alcoholism and drunkenness and addiction and temptation, if I never preached any of those messages, somebody would visit me in my office Somebody would call me to the carpet and they would correct me. You seeker only shallow preaching gospel watering down ear tickling pastor. Are you ever going to preach on anything that actually hurts somebody's feelings? You feel good Osteen loving. You just never know. If I were to not preach and yet hear me. I have not never in my tenure as a preacher given a message on the racism that exists within our congregations. Not one person has called me to the carpet in almost 11 years of full-time ministry. Could it be that we would rather retract or divert this discussion because of how it makes us feel? Some of us squirming a little bit, getting a little bit irritated because I haven't addressed our police officers and those who serve and protect because I haven't addressed our small business owners. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that when we decide to focus on a root issue that people feel like we are forsaken some of the fruit issues? Why is it that when we focus on one thing that is sin, such as racism, such as prejudice, that everybody, I'm sorry, that the church, that is the, like the one main, I'm not saying we don't do it in other areas, but it's the, one of the main conversations where all of a sudden the church, the church says, well, everybody sins. Don't judge me. And we get mad at unbelievers for saying that same thing. But on this topic, the church starts saying the same thing that they get mad at the unbelievers for saying. We would rather divert. We would rather distract. We would rather focus on the response than the root in regards to this specific issue. Let me say this. I believe that throwing a blanket on something broken doesn't make it better. Like throwing the blanket of all sin over something broken in a system, it doesn't make it better. Throwing the blanket of, well, everybody's racist. Well, everybody's prejudiced. Well, everybody's biased. Not Jesus. Who are you trying to be like? Everybody or him? 
Because the last time I checked, he was our standard, not everybody else around us. Pastor John said it this way. He said, I think the issue may be that we are better in regards to this topic. We are better at identifying the prejudice around us than we are the prejudice within us. The church. I don't have a voice with CNN. I don't have a voice with Fox News. If I did, I would care about that. I don't. God put us here. You have a voice here. We have a voice here. And we have a root that is causing us to view people differently and to attend church unbiblically. If you're taking notes today, I want to give some, some wins here. Quickly, number one, we must consider others over ourselves. We must consider others. We must. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul, speaking to the church, said, don't be selfish. Don't, don't be selfish. Some of your social media stuff, man, it's selfish. Selfishness is sinfulness. Don't be selfish. Paul says, don't try to impress others. Now, this is the New Living Translation, but that's actually a very good translation for this passage because the Greek word right there originally used in this context meant don't submit to vain glory, self-glory. Why would we rather deflect? Because it is our personal protection mechanism to point the finger rather than to receive the conviction. That's why we do that. So the answer could be that we must consider others over ourselves. Be humble, Paul says. This, every time I see the word humility, I think of Jesus. Because Jesus came into a society that was based on honor and shame. Think about this. Roman culture at that time, humility was not something that you put on. Humility was something somebody else put on you. If you were humble, it was because somebody humbled you. It was because you brought shame on your family or somebody brought shame on you. And Jesus comes in and he shifts the honor and shame paradigm to where humility is a character trait, not just worth pursuing, but necessary in order to be like him. So that means if humility is evidence of Jesus' spirit, then pride and arrogance is evidence of the other guy. Because Lucifer and a third of heaven were kicked, a third of heaven were kicked out for the abundance of their trading, for their prideful, arrogant, vain glory. That is why, that is the original sin, by the way. It wasn't the disobedience to eat the fruit that God said don't eat of. That was a response to the original sin. The original sin was pride and arrogance and prejudice and bias. We don't consider others. So we, when we post something on social media, when we react, when we respond, when we perceive somebody else differently, we have two choices. It either looks like Lucifer or it looks like Jesus. It either reeks of humility or it reeks of arrogance. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than, better than yourselves, Paul says. Verse 4, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus. You must, you must. This is not a request. 
This is not a like, hey, if you get to it 250 years later, if you so decide, this is, you really should try to be this. No, no, no. Paul says you must have the same attitude, outlook, perspective as Jesus Christ had. Prejudice. The word, the prefix, and the definition is pre-justice. We have a pre-judgment. So my question is, is that pre-judgment based on your upbringing and your perspective? Or is that pre-judgment based on his molding you into his likeness and image because of his perspective? Pre-judgment, prejudice around us? Or is that just the fruit of the root that is within us? What do I do about it? Man, I got to consider others over myself. Number two, I got to have conversations with people not like me. I need to have conversations with people not like me. Like, I want to understand, why does this make you so mad? Guys, this is a marriage principle. Like, if, if two people come into us for... For marriage advising, because I'm not a counselor, I will jack you up, okay? I'm just letting you know right now. Like, I'm not going to give you, like, a three-step program. Like, we're going to fix this thing. Like, I'm going to fix it. If you'll do what I say, you'll fix it. Like, if you leave here and do what I tell you, it's fixed. If you come back next week, you're wasting my time, okay? It's like, I'm going to charge you $75 an hour, just like that guy will. Or I'm going to send you to him. I'm just like, this is not my gift. But I can fix it. But when two people come to us and we say, hey... This is broken. This is broken. This is broken. I just I don't just cover it with a blanket and hope for the best. No, I try to get the husband to see from the perspective of the wife. You need to stop trying to fix her and fix you. And I try to get the wife to see from the perspective of the husband. You need to stop worrying about him and let God show you what's wrong. Created me a clean heart, oh God. Search me, oh God. You got to have conversations with people who are not like you. I had some conversations with people who are not like me. They weren't born as a white boy who was, and I will say, I will say, this may not be your story, but I will say privileged in Menden, Louisiana. I can tell you stories, but that's, that's my story. If it's not your story, don't get offended by my story. That's stupid. Don't do that. Consider others over yourself and have conversations with people not like you. So I called a man that used to be in this church within the lifetime of most of the people in this room. See, we think that segregation was an issue that was solved in a civil war and a civil rights movement. The problem is the church was on top of the slave cells and decided to sing louder than the people's screams. And then the church was silent during the rights movement. And that is why we still experience some of the same fruit, because we still have a root. So I called him in and I said, hey, you got to tell me your story. I remember he told me a story in the parking lot out here with tears in his eyes. He said, and I quote, he was told by a leader that is no longer in this church, by the way. But a leader who was at this church at that time, he looked at that man and he said this. A white man cannot receive anything from a black man. This church, this church, did you know that this church used to be called All People's Church? 
this church, like incorporated. It's on the Louisiana legal history of this church. And that man was told that. That a, a black man should not try to speak over or into a white man. So you guess what he did? He left. Can you imagine the lack of influence? Can you imagine the loss of salvations that have taken place over the last 20 years because that devil spoke into the heart of that man and no spirit-filled, sanctified, born-again believer said or did anything about it. Hi, I'm Chris. I'd rather die than let that devil sit in this church. He can't stay. I will have conversations with people who are not like me so that I can understand from a perspective that I do not currently have. I want to seek to understand more than I want to just seek to be understood. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, it says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And we know this scripture. We, we don't throw, well, hide it from them. Hide it, hide it. Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. And then we jump in this Romans road to salvation. We jump to Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then we'll jump to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But, but the gift of God, racism is sin. And the wages of that sin is death. People have died for the last 20 years. This church to this day is still known as that church. We lost influence because we let a root. That man told me his story two years ago. Why am I just now talking about it? Oh, we want diversity. No, no, no. We want to seem diverse. We don't want to see diverse. It's not theological conviction. It's not in our heart. See, tucked in between, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.11 says, no one understands. Everybody wants to be understood. If I were to evaluate 10,000 social media posts, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., 10,000 of them, I would say about one less than five to 10 is going to be a position of seeking to understand. The other 9,999 posts are going to be from a position of seeking for someone to understand them, to be understood. I get it, but just shut up. If you got to get a butt in it, just don't even go there. Seek to under, no one understands. Why? Because no one seeks God. We just seek to be understood. We just want you to know our personal protection and preferential treatment. That's all we want. We need to have conversations with people who are not like us. And then finally, number three, we need to reconcile with communion. In Christ, no matter the color, we, we have to reconcile. 
I love our police officers. I love those who serve. I've had conversations with them over the last week. I hate the rioting and the looting. And I, and I hate that, that a retired police chief lost his life. I, I hate all that stuff. Because it's sin. Is it? Or is it just the wages of the sin that already existed? That the church has been indifferent towards for way too long. Pastor Caleb Simeon said it this way. And we're not like joining churches. We're just friends. We just have conversations. But he said something that really stood out to me. And it doesn't matter how you feel about him. He said something that, that for me was eye-opening. Chris, we all know the Lord says to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And he said, the problem is, Chris, we can't love people the way that we love ourselves because we don't see people the way that we see ourselves. When we look at other people, we see them as they are. We don't see them as we are. And we separate and we segregate. And we identify prejudice around us, but we have a hard time identifying prejudice within us. Dr. Tony Evans said, we have gotten good at tolerating one another, but we're not good at doing life together. Listen to me, toleration is not communion. Tolerating my existence or someone who is not like you's existence. That is not communion. That's toleration. We consider others over ourselves. We have conversations with people that are not like us so that we can go into communion, true, authentic, genuine, relational communion with any individual of any color or creed. Just like we read the scripture did. When a white child can walk through Walmart, pick up a black doll, and not be told to put it back. When an interracial couple can walk into a restaurant and nobody sees them any differently than any other man or woman who are united in holy matrimony. What are we doing? Who are we? That's not his heart. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. The Holy Spirit has come. But remember that there are things that can keep us from the more that God has for us. The Bible says all the believers, every Jew, every Greek, every Samaritan, every Gentile. By the way, if we got one thing in common, it's that we ain't Jew. Maybe if I have a Jew in here, then congratulations, you made it first. Like all the rest of us are in the same pot. Every believer devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. By the way, that's the New Testament. It's not a preacher or a pastor or a person today. The apostles' teaching is what we have from the book of Matthew to the book of Revelation. They devoted themselves to that and to fellowship. That's conversations, fellowship, conversations, getting to know one another and sharing meals that's a, a representative to the last supper or communion they decided to do life together they didn't just tolerate one another and then because they devoted themselves to the word of god and then they began to connect to the people of god they had communion together and then they could truly have a prayer life worth having they could all go to God together. Verse 43, a, dense, a deep sense of awe came over them all. 
a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Well, man, why don't we see that anymore? Well, these, these gifts have ceased. They ceased after the apostles. No. The reason that we don't see what they saw is because we don't live the way they lived. We don't devote. We don't discover. There is no one righteous, no one not one. No one understands and no one truly seeks the heart of God. We seek the heart of God up to the point that it makes us comfortable and no further. We don't see what they saw because we don't do what they did. Verse 44, all the believers met together in one place. And they shared everything. They connected and they communed together. They shared everything they had. No preacher had to do a series on giving because they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes. They had small groups in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals. Nobody had to do a, a series on generosity because they just had great joy and generosity. They just built the kingdom of God. They understood that it was the only reason that they existed. They had purpose in the midst of pandemonium. Verse 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship, their connection, those who were being saved. Guys, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done having this wrong. And if you don't love it, then you can leave. I don't want you to. I want to hear why you feel the way that you feel. But I'm not raising my kids. I'm not go we're not going another generation where somebody has to drink out of a different water fountain. That's this generation, by the way. It ain't gone. We're not going another generation where somebody is seen differently because of the color of their skin. God is not colorblind. He created us all on purpose for a purpose. But God knows the heart of a man. In other words, he sees the skin, but he sees right through the skin. He doesn't see the skin differently. I'm done. I'm done. I want my daughters to marry a man because he loves Jesus and is filled with the Spirit of God. I don't care what color he is. He's going to love Jesus, though, or I'm going to help him meet him. Letting you. It's okay. It might be cultural, but that doesn't make it biblical. We're called to break culture, we're called to set culture, we're called to be the temperature, not just gauge it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Every follower of Jesus, I want to invite you right now to ask the Lord to help you to identify your personal prejudice. Well, everybody has prejudice. Yeah, but you can't do anything about everybody else. God's not using you to convict everybody else. He just wants to, you to let his spirit convict you. Lord, would you show me my personal prejudice? Every follower of Jesus, would you ask the Holy Spirit where you've considered yourself over others? Instead of considering others over yourself. Would you ask the Lord to show you people that you can have conversations with, that you could seek to understand?
instead of just being understood. And would you beg God for biblical communion to come back to life in this house in a way that it never has before? Would you beg God to break down the walls of personal preference, of personal protection, of pride, of arrogance, of prejudice, of bias, and grant us communion with you, O oh God, and with one another. If you're in the room right now or you're watching online and you need to ask God for forgiveness, you need to receive salvation today. The healer is already here. The sin has already been paid for. You just have to surrender your life to him. It's why he came. You are why he came. If you're in the room and you need to recommit or commit your life to Jesus for the first time and the first time in a long time, if you're watching live or later, I want to invite you right now to just open your hands right where you are and begin to talk to God, begin to ask him to forgive you. Come on, church, I want to partner with them today. We want to use our mouth to confess Jesus as Lord. Let's pray this together out loud. Jesus, forgive me for my prejudice for falling short, my sin. I believe you died on the cross. You paid it once and for all. You were raised from the dead so that I could live. So take my life, make it yours. Use me to set the tone, to build your kingdom, to commune with you and every person you put in my path. May I follow you with all of my heart for the rest of my life in Jesus' name. Come on, can we praise God together today? Hey, real quick, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and the first time in a long time, we're trying to connect with people digitally and personally right now. We want to resource you. We want to connect with you. If you would text whether you committed or recommitted your life to Jesus, if you would text, I believe, very simple, I believe, to 84576. We want to connect with you. We want to know what God is doing in your life. We're going to have a water baptism service at the end of this month. We have bought a small swimming pool with a filter and chlorine so we can practice social distance between people having stuff in their mouth and spitting water back into the pool. I know it sounds bad, but we're going to filter it. The whole, it's going to be okay. We'll have separate tanks. We're going to do it God's way. We're going to protect you in Jesus' name. Hey, I want to thank you. I didn't have to have a board meeting in order to make purchases to make things happen over the last two and a half months. We were just able to appropriate your generosity. Thank you so much for continuing to worship God with your giving and supporting this church, over 40-something missionaries stateside and on the other side of the world, and all that God is doing and going to do. We believe that we have vision from God, but you are the provision from God. God bless.